Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, welcome back. So real quick before I get started, uh, a quick message for my YouTube viewers. I haven't talked about this in a week or two, so I figured I'd bring it up. But I'm not leaving YouTube, so... so uh, don't be worried about that, but I am trying to move as many of my viewers, uh, convert you guys into listeners, because let's be honest, that's what you're doing right now is you're listening to me. This is mostly a, a podcast, and so why not move to a podcast platform? Of course, that's not the main reason. I am on most major podcast platforms, though. I would like you to, if you want to, follow me on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or whatever, whichever one you prefer. The big reason I'm doing it is because I'm sort of sick of YouTube and, and, and their, the way that they can kind of control what creators succeed and which ones fail. In many ways, it's a merit-based system. YouTube rewards you for watch time, for, for views, for comments, and all that. But if, if you start talking about something they don't like, uh, that, can, that, that whole merit-based uh, system can, can go away pretty quickly. And, and the podcast world, from my experience, is not so much like that. My podcast supporters are, are pretty uh, pretty consistent, and and, and uh, it's just not really a thing in the podcast world, at least right now. So that's a big part of why I'm making the switch. I'm in addition. I mean, it also works better for me in terms of, of revenue and whatnot. I keep more of my ad revenue over there. Um, I, I'm running my own ads right now, which consists of an Anchor and a Spotify ad. There's nothing random ads that, that YouTube is throwing on there. So... Anyways, I'll put a link down below in the comment section to Apple or Spotify podcasts, but but certainly whatever major platform you want to use, uh, I very much appreciate that. I've seen a ton of growth over there in the last couple of weeks since I've been pushing this, and uh, I think we're just getting started. But anyways, getting to the main topic of today's podcast. Yeah, it's a podcast. So, Trump tax cuts 2.0. This was... Um, I guess a bit of a surprise for me, but it, it shouldn't be really. It's an election year. And and this is what I'm talking about is a statement made by none other than Larry Kudlow uh, today, uh, Wednesday, about plans for additional tax cuts in 2020, or at least for them to be, you know, the, the bill to be brought up in Congress for, for tax cuts in 2020. Now, this would be a follow-up to track... Uh, tax Cuts 1.0, which was the bill that passed in late 2017, went into effect in 2018, and, and it's largely credited with two things. One, providing a pretty significant, albeit not all that long-lasting, I think, uh, stimulus to the economy in, into 2018. It definitely shook things up a fair bit. Uh, additionally, it's also credited with a pretty significant increase in the deficit. And of course, Larry Kudlow and company told us back then that you know it, it would pay for itself in economic growth and, and ensuing tax taxes from that. And, and that was bogus. I mean, the only way to decrease deficits with a tax cut ultimately is to decrease spending. And, and so we have sort of this situ interesting situation here heading into... Uh, this 2020 election, you know, I, I, I don't get too overtly political partisanship 
uh, left versus right divide here on this channel, on this podcast. Uh, you guys know where I'm stand. I'm not a huge fan of either party, right? I'll be I'll be honest. I'm I'm more of a libertarian, and 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 with that being said, I think it's easy for me. It's easy for a lot of people to to view the election, say we're not getting a choice here. These candidates are all the same, and of course. We have to remind ourselves that that's not true. There are some pretty significant differences on, on foreign policy, on domestic policy, on, on a, a lot of differences from, from candidate to candidate, and certainly from, from left to right. With that being said, heading into 2020, we, the 2020 election, we have this interesting situation where it, it would appear as so, though, uh, in terms of budget, in terms of, of fiscal policy, there's not a huge difference. There's not a huge difference right now between Trump and uh, whatever Democratic candidate you want to pick, in the sense that they're both going to be increasing the debt. Now, yes, there are huge differences between a tax cut and fiscal spending. I mean, with that being said, this tax cuts 2.0, it could be um, some other type of, of fiscal stimulus in addition to the tax cuts. I'm talking infrastructure spending and whatnot, which has, has long been a goal. I'm talking before he even took office, a long goal of, of the Trump administration. But even if we're just talking, talking tax cuts, tax cuts versus fiscal stimulus and spending, whether it's Medicare for all, uh, student loan forgiveness, or, or whatever other uh, uh, pet project the, the individual nominees on, on the left have, they, they all have the end result of, of increasing our deficits. Now, I mean, if I'm going to be blunt, I, I would rather have a tax cut. I like the idea of just the government taking less money rather than taking the same amount or even more money and then deciding what to do with it because government tends to be uh, pretty inefficient with how they spend money. But, but in terms of deficit, there's not much of a difference to me. right? A tax cut without a, a matching spending cut is, is ultimately not a tax cut at all. Right. That, that's really the heart of this issue is and I'll explain why that's the case. Uh, the, the heart of this issue for me is not whether or not we should have lower taxes. I, I'm, I'm all for lower taxes with a matching spending cut. Right. Uh, I think the government needs to, to shrink, not grow. And it certainly is, is incapable of just staying in one place. It's sort of one of those situations like in a river. I mean, you either swim upstream or you float downstream. You can't sit still. And the same is true for the government. It either grows or people have to actively be trying to, to shrink it. So the, the problem with a tax cut without a matching spending cut is the hidden tax, the inflation. Uh, whether we have a, a major tax cut 2.0 come out in 2020 or 2021 after the election, let's say Trump wins and... and and that's what we end up with. Or we get a Sanders or a Warren or, or Biden White House. And and at the top of their list of things to do is, is keep some promises for voters, including... And that's crazy, right? Politicians keeping promises. But but they actually do a pretty good job of that sometimes when it involves spending money. So, so you have student loan forgiveness or Medicare for all or a huge infrastructure package, or whatever it is that, that the left is going to be pushing, regardless of those, uh, whether it's tax cuts or infrastructure or fiscal stimulus, you have increases in the deficit. And as of you know, 2019, 2020, I mean, the deficit 
on a year over year on a yearly basis we're looking at you know officially over a trillion dollars probably closer to 1.3 1.4 trillion dollars and, and that is in relatively good uh, economic times relatively speaking uh, we could be in a much much worse position we could be in a deep recession the stock market continues to rise which certainly helps tax refunds i mean we're not in that bad of, of a situation and yet deficits are still huge i mean these are one plus trillion dollar deficits the, the last time we had those was, was back in 2012 and fiscal spending or tax cuts would add to that i don't know how much an extra 100 200 300 billion dollars but in the situation that we're in right now like literally right now is that a large amount of our debt that the u.s government accumulates is is being bought not by investors not by foreign central banks not by banks domestically whatever it's being bought by the fed the fed is monetizing debt at a pace of 60 billion dollars a month 720 billion dollars a year as as part of their not qe but actually qe program in addition to their repo market operations which are different but but can still be seen as as a support for for these debt markets for for the U.S. government and, and their their debt habit, their 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 debt problem, and and the problem with that is is of course inflation. They're literally printing money to fund the U.S. government, and and that is by definition inflationary. They're inflating the monetary supply. Now it may not immediately show up. In fact, I can almost guarantee you that according to official numbers, it's barely going to show up in inflation data. However, we also know that real inflation is actually likely much, much higher than what is reported. It's not around 2%. It's probably closer to 5% right now, uh, as, as I guess, based on on a lot of really great work and a lot of really great uh, um, data analysis that's been done. So we're at 5% inflation now, right? We have this ongoing debt monetization, which may or may not have worked its way into these inflation numbers. And you're going to add to that an additional couple hundred billion dollars a year. I mean, in the case of, of Warren's loan forgiveness plan, uh, maybe north of a trillion dollars, depending on how much is being forgiven, a couple trillion of debt. Who's buying that? I mean, as it stands right now, you know, for a good chunk of 2019, even back in 2018, a lot of that debt was being bought by, I mean, you and I, not literally you and I, but, but consumers, right? It was being thrown in their uh, retirement funds, their... Uh, hedge funds were buying it, banks were buying it, uh, but over time, that wasn't enough, and and part of that was signified by this repo market crisis that we had, and and beginning back in September, which has yet to be resolved, and the Fed had to step in eventually and and monetize a large amount of that debt, and we're going to add to that a couple hundred billion dollars a year, that also has to be bought by someone. Ultimately, it's the Fed, and so that's what I mean when I say that tax cuts without spending cuts that match it is still a tax it's it's inflation albeit uh, a tax that disproportionately targets the middle and the lower class those who are disproportionately affected by things like the cost of health care the cost of housing cost of education uh, food fuel all of that a reason for that is is that if you look at um, something that makes 10 million dollars and something that makes fifty thousand dollars a year what percentage of that $10 million, or $10 million uh, uh, salary individual, their family, whatever, what percentage of their budget is taken up by health care and by 
education, and even by housing. It's, you know, with the exception of housing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, healthcare, uh, education, food, fuel, uh, um, electricity, all these things affected by inflation. The, the cost of those things is, is relatively similar to somebody that makes 50K a year, right? Housing is, is a bit different because they probably have a pretty nice house if they're making $10 million a year. But, but that's, that's not necessary. I mean, that's not like a need. That's just a, a want. That's discretionary at that point, as far as I'm considered. Uh, and so the, the people that are disproportionately affected by this inflation tax is, is the middle class and it's it's the lower class, the working class or whatever you want to call them. And, and that's problematic, right? And this is true if it's spending as well. I mean, it's you're increasing the deficit either way. It has to be monetized, right? And so we have this weird situation, you know, everybody's asking, you know, when, not everybody, but, but a lot of us are asking, when is the Fed going to start helicopter money? Helicopter money, of course, is a term used to describe where the Fed basically just prints money and directly delivers it to the economy, whether that's consumers, corporations, whatever, as opposed to monetizing debt or, or just buying assets, right? And, and we're sort of reaching a situation where, conceivably, if the Fed were to have to or choose to continue quantitative easing, of course, they don't have to do anything. They could, it, it'd certainly be a choice on their part. Continue quantitative easing or even increase it by an extra $40 billion a month or, or whatever to accommodate a tax cut, infrastructure bill, loan forgiveness, Medicare for all, whatever. That would be... Uh, inflationary, and in many ways, it would would be akin to helicopter money, would it not? I mean, especially if we're talking spending, if we're talking in infrastructure. I mean, it's basically the Fed at that point printing money to fund new roads, bridges, airports, etc. If it's loan forgiveness, it's the Fed at some point along the way printing money to pay off student debt. It's the Fed printing money to pay for a tax cut, to pay for, for spending that is no longer uh, met by, by tax revenue. It's, it's the Federal Reserve printing money to pay for the health care for, for every man, woman, and child in the United States. Right? That sounds a lot like helicopter money to me, and I'm not saying that, that more, more formalized helicopter money, as, as other people might have envisioned it, isn't coming down the line, but it also begs the question... Is, is not helicopter money already here? I mean, the Fed is monetizing debt at a pretty fast clip right now, the U.S. debt. And, and a good amount of that debt that they're monetizing is, is because of Trump tax cuts 1.0. It's because of these spending uh, bills and, and programs that have long been in place and to some extent would not be in place. They would not be feasible without the interest rates that the Fed can provide through through quantitative easing, through debt monetization, because they're creating that extra demand for these bonds, right? So, 
again, we're left with this sort of strange decision where as, as much as all there's this, this talk about how the left and right is, is either very similar or polar opposites, in terms of the debt increase, in terms of what the Fed is going to have to do to monetize that debt, they're very similar as it stands right now, right? Politicians are notoriously bad at, at keeping promises. However, there are some that they're pretty good at, and, and usually the promises that they're best at keeping are those that involve high amounts of spending, uh, sometimes it's the tax cuts, uh, usually those are the ones that, that politicians are pretty good at keeping because it's not all that difficult. Congress loves, now, now I mean, that's a question that I'll, I'll talk about here in a second, but Congress as a whole loves to pass spending bills and loves to pass tax cuts. They love to work on these spending projects. Now, I mean, sometimes there's this left and right divide. So, for example, let's say later in 2020, during the campaign season, Trump unveils the, the Trump tax cuts 2.0. And let's say that it actually makes it to the House or the Senate or both before the election. Let's say it happens in, in June or something like that. You have many months to spare. It, it, it puts Democrats in an interesting situation because on one hand, tax cuts would probably be pretty popular if they went along with it. But on the other hand, it would also be viewed by some as, as giving Donald Trump a win. And so sometimes the left-right divide stops them from, from doing stuff like that, right? I mean, we all remember these, these uh, fiscal conservatives that, that mysteriously dis disappeared in, in uh, you know, November of, of 2016 or, or what, January or whatever of, of 2017 when Trump took office. All of a sudden, now that they're in party, or now that he's in office and, and they have a fair bit of control in the House and the Senate... All of a sudden, spending and, and, and budget controls and all that goes out the window, right? I think it was Mick Mulvaney, who was, what, like the chief of staff for the White House, used to be a huge fiscal conservative guy, right? And, and, and I mean, the, the world is so upside down now that, that some on the left have, have started to voice their concerns after remaining silent for eight-plus years uh, about deficits. Uh, they've voiced their concerns about deficits and whatnot. Not that they really care either. Uh, but, but debt is going to increase regardless, right? And so let's push back against this. I, I don't expect to change this course of, of events, but I think it's important for us to understand that tax cuts sound great in theory, but without a matching spending cut, it's, it's inflation just by a different name, and it's, it's far more damaging to, to those that aren't in, in the 1% or the 0.1% of the population in terms of, of income or net, net wealth or whatever. And, and to some extent, the same is true for, for these other crazy half-baked spending ideas by, by Warren or Andrew Yang or, or, or Biden or, or Sanders. It's all extremely destructive, right? Uh, the U.S. at this point in time is, is sort of uh, beyond the, the point of, of no return in terms of, of debt, uh, the debt load running out of control. Uh, one word that, that is almost absent from the political vocabulary here in the United States domestically is austerity. Um, and, and as far as I'm concerned, as long as we have uh, the de facto global reserve currency, I, I don't expect the term austerity to, to come up anytime soon in, in domestic politics here in the United States. And yet it's, it's probably a term that, that need to, probably needs to have been brought up a long time ago. And I don't know. I mean, if it was brought up today, spending cuts, tax increases, whatever, 
be hugely unpopular. I mean, it, is it possible? Yeah, anything is possible, right? The U.S. government could be taken down to, to a quarter, a tenth of its current size, right? It would not be that difficult. I mean, first of all, the, you start with foreign policy and you close slash sell a large amount of U.S. bases worldwide, right? If you want to keep a couple, sure, but we don't need them in, in almost every country around the world. And then you rein in our operations outside of, of U.S. Um, along coastlines and, and some of our territorial waters and whatnot. Uh, and all already you've, you've cut the payroll for the military. You've cut the spending that, that takes to, to as far as logistics go. Um, and, and wow, already you, you've saved a ton of money, right? And that's just foreign policy. And, and I think it'd be hugely popular around the world. I, there'd be a lot of people that would say the world's less safe now, but... But eh, it's topic for another video, another podcast. And then you go from there, right? Um, you start looking domestically. Rather than jumping straight to, to big spending projects like Medicare or Medicaid or, or whatever else, let's start with some of the basics. Like hmm, maybe we shouldn't be giving so much funding to Department of Education or, or Environmental Protection Agents. I mean, it'd be hugely unpopular. It's, it's never likely going to happen. This thing is all going to fall apart before any of this happens. But it may be possible to, to, to decrease the budget by 90%. It's just, I don't even want to say it's not feasible because it is feasible. It's just going to be hugely unpopular on both sides of the aisle, right? They both have their pet projects or agencies that they want to keep in place. And, and that's not going to change. And so, you know, in many ways, you can hold off on the inevitable. I mean, that's part of what the Fed is doing right now by monetizing debt. If, if they weren't doing that, if they didn't do it following the 2008 recession, this this probably would have all fallen apart by now, right? And they can kick the can down the road, but they only can kick it down the road for so long. Inflation's already on the rise, and it's going to continue to rise as these deficits continue to spiral out of control and necessitate, I, I don't even want to use the word necessitate, but, but or require, but, but leads to the monetization of that debt by the Federal Reserve and and it, yeah any austerity any spending cuts tax increases that would just stave off the inevitable and, and probably lead to actually a pretty significant drop in economic activity because of just how much economic activity today is funded by the US government and and the debt that they then produce so it's a bit of a downer video podcast today I'm sorry but I, I want to be honest with you guys. There, there's a lot to look forward to after this, and, and maybe in terms of, of the future of the Republic, future of the United States, and, and, and I want to make myself clear, this is absolutely true for a lot of other countries around this world, uh, uh, this, this coming debt crisis. It, uh, it's, it's maybe not the brightest future for a lot of these countries and for the United States. But for us as individuals, our, our families, our loved ones, we've had and we continue to probably have quite a bit of time to prepare for this, Right whether it's through how you're positioning your assets in precious metals or other alternative investments, um, prepare for a situation where, where we likely have a, a, a government that is desperate to, to hold on to control, a government that is um, failing and, and providing some, some services that today they do provide, and, and it's going to be some tough times ahead. right? But we have plenty of time to, to mentally and, and financially and, and, and prepare in whatever other way and so I don't want this to be a downer podcast. This is, this is just is. This is just how it is. I'm just reporting it as it is, and, and how I see it as as developing in the coming years. So, uh, 
let me know down below in the comment section or, or shoot me an email at w23math at gmail.com. If you have thoughts on this today's podcast, if you have questions, ideas for future topics, and of course, for all those of you still on YouTube, uh, don't forget to check the comment section and uh, switch over to the podcast already. I know some of you guys aren't going to. That's fine. Like I said, I'm not leaving YouTube, uh, but I would appreciate another 10, 20, 50, 100 of you plus, all of you, I'd prefer to, to eventually switch to the podcast format, but but I'm, my feelings won't be hurt either way. I'm still going to be here. So as always, thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast and God bless.